not to me, not to how I present it, but to your word. We, we look to your word. We want to we hear from you. This is your word. And so, Lord, we pray, speak to us. Speak loudly, speak clearly. And Father, move in us today. Move in us, God. That we would move out. That we would move out in boldness to share hope with those who are around us. And so Father, help us. Help us to see the beautiful things that You have in store for us in Your Word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35-38, through 38, listen to what it says. Matthew records this. He says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. And when He saw the crowds, when He saw the crowds, He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Then He said to His disciples, He said to His disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, they're few. So what do we do? How do we respond? Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Where? Into His harvest. To send out laborers into His harvest. And so this morning as we think about this passage, I want to just begin this way. When, when, some, of you, when some of you consider being in front of a crowd, <laughs> and this time of the season, maybe it's Walmart or the malls, family gatherings, weddings, you thrive. I mean, you, you love being in front of a crowd. You, you love the mixing and meshing of a crowd. It doesn't intimidate you. That's your personality. That, that's your thing. You, you love a crowd. Is there anyone in here like that that just loves to be in a crowd? You don't have to raise your hand. I, I'm not one of them. I don't, I don't necessarily love to be in a, a crowd, but there are some that God's wired in such a way that's your personality. You just love to be in a crowd. And, but there's, there's, I know there's some of you, others in this room, uh, that you have a severe allergy to crowds. <laughs> that would be me. I, I, I don't necessarily enjoy crowds. Uh, for some of you, two's a company and three is overwhelming. Right? Two's company, three is just overwhelming for you. But, but there are times, even for introverts and extroverts, where the crowd is just overwhelming and even annoying. It's true, isn't it? A crowd can be annoying. And the most annoying thing about a crowd is this. It's whenever you put a group of sinners together in the same area. That gets a little annoying, doesn't it? It can get a little, a little messy. You're asking for trouble when a crowd of sinners gather together. It can be messy. It'll be filled with awkward people. 
weird people. People that, are, that we're just uncomfortable around. Crowds are that way, aren't they? You all with me this morning? Crowds are that way. I figured some of you surely would laugh at this. I mean, I mean, crowds are this way. They're awkward. They're weird. They're filled with awkward people, weird people, people we're uncomfortable being around, messy people, needy people. They're even filled with potential criminals. Think about it. Crowds. Crowds are messy. But in this passage in chapter 9, we see Jesus' response to the crowds. It's interesting. What, what does the text say that Jesus' response is when he sees the crowd? When he saw the crowds, it says he had compassion for them. He, he had compassion. That was Jesus' response to a crowd of sinful human beings. That was his response to it. He, he was moved by compassion. He, he wasn't repulsed. Uh, the text doesn't, Matthew doesn't tell us that, that he saw them and, man, woo, you know, I don't want any part of that, and, and walks off. The text doesn't tell us that. He, he doesn't walk away. He doesn't say that it's too messy for me. No, he, he responds with compassion. He, he responds with compassion. J.C. Ryle, listen to what he said. He says, man who does not feel for souls of the unconverted persons surely does not have the mind of Christ. He said, man who does not feel for the souls of the unconverted surely does not have the mind of Christ. What is Ryle saying? He's saying that those who belong to Jesus should have the same reaction of Jesus when we see a crowd. We should be moved by compassion. We should see them as they really are. And so this morning, I want to talk to you just of two things, two points. I know, I couldn't come up with a third one. Two points. First point, I just want to point you to the motive for mission. The motive for mission. What is the motive for mission? I want you to think about this. According to Josephus, historian, that in Galilee there were at least three million people living in about 204 cities and villages. And what are we told Jesus was doing? Do you hear those numbers? Three million people in 204 cities and villages. And what do we see Jesus is doing? In Matthew 9.35 it says, And Jesus went throughout what? All. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? He went throughout all the cities and villages where Josephus estimated there were some three million people. And what is Jesus doing? Jesus is moving throughout those cities and villages, all of them. And what is He doing? He is teaching. He is preaching. And He is healing. We see the threefold ministry of Jesus. His ministry. It was the teaching. It was the preaching. It was the healing. But I want you to see He was going to all the cities. All 
the villages. You, you following me this morning? There weren't some cities and some villages that he said, you know, those people are just too awful. I, I think I'll pass. I'll, I'll go to the next city where they might receive me better. You, know, you get what I'm saying? He went to all the cities and villages, to the three million that were estimated by Josephus to be living in Galilee. He went to them all. And guess what he was doing? He went there to teach them. He went there to proclaim something. He went there to tell them he was the living hope in the cities and the villages. But my question for you this morning, the question we've got to ask is, what was motivating Jesus to do this? What was driving him to go to the masses? Why did, he, why did he travel? Why did he, you know, it's not like he could just jump in an airplane and travel to Afghanistan. It, it, it's, it's not that way. It's not like he had a car waiting for him to just take him and taxi him to the next city. That's not the way they went. It was hard. So what motivated him? What was driving him to do this? Are you with me? Are you tracking with me this morning? What is driving Jesus to do this? I think before we answer that question, I want us to look back at what has taken place previously in chapters 8 and 9. It's interesting what takes place. In chapter 8, 1 through 4, notice what Jesus did. He cleansed a leper. In chapter 8, 5 through 13, he healed a centurion servant. In chapter 8, 14 through 17, he heals Peter's mother in law. Wasn't that kind? My mother-in-law is not here this morning. <laughs> Matthew 8, 23 through 27. He calmed a storm. Matthew 8, 28 through 34. He delivered men from demonic possession. Matthew 9, 1 through 8. He healed a paralytic. Matthew 9, 18 through 26. He raised a girl from the dead. Matthew 9, 27 through 31. He healed two blind men. Matthew 9, 32-34, he cast out a demon of a man who was not able to speak. Wow. There's a lot going on there. And so the question is, why was he doing this? What was his motive behind all this? What is driving Jesus' ministry? This threefold ministry, this teaching, this preaching, this healing. What motivated him? And it was this. The motive behind all that he was doing is compassion. The motive behind everything Jesus was doing through His teaching, through His preaching, and through His healing was compassion. And I want to say this to you this morning. Please hear it. He's a compassionate Savior. He's a compassionate Savior. And hear this. He didn't just perform compassionate acts. He actually felt compassion. He actually felt compassion. And there's some good news in all this because the writer of Hebrews in chapter 3 says this about Jesus. He says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of, of this, this nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of who He is. Meaning that when we see Jesus... We see a revelation of God the Father. And He is our perfect, holy, eternal, righteous God, but He is moved and fills compassion 
Wow. Think about that for a moment. The perfect, holy, righteous God is a God of compassion. In Jesus, we see this compelling picture of the Father. The very, hear me this morning, the very nature, and we just celebrated it, the very nature of the incarnation of Jesus demonstrates the compassion of the Father. Do you hear me? The, the very nature of the incarnation. Jesus is coming. Jesus dwelling among us is a demonstration of God the Father's compassion for us. Amen? So compassion walked among us in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is divine compassion in the flesh. You think about this word in verse 36, this word compassion. When He saw the crowds, He had compassion for them. What does it mean? The Greek term means a, a strong feeling or an intense feeling. And you're going to love this. In the bowels. Isn't that lovely? In the bowels. I mean, you know, I love you with all my bowels. You know, this intense feeling we had. Don't say that to your wife. <laughs> right? But, it, but what it's trying to demonstrate in the very core of who Jesus is and was, the very center of His being, He was moved felt something. Does that make sense? You know, kind of in a modern day term, how we would say it is when we tell our wife or future wife, whatever, we love you from, with all my heart. You ever use that phrase? Nobody uses that. Well, I, I do, so I'll, I'll tell you. I, I say that, so what am I meaning by that? Just so you all understand, if I ever say it to you, I love you with all my heart, Dana. You know, I mean, what I mean is I love you with all my being, with who I am. I'm stirred. I, I feel for you with all that I am. Is that, does that make sense to you? Okay? Nobody ever said that. <laughs> I love you with all my heart. Come on, folks. Uh, you're being bashful in the crowd of people. That's what it is. You're an introvert, right? So, but we say things like that, don't we? And so Jesus, as He looks at this crowd, He, he has a strong sense of feeling inside of Him. In the center of His being, He feels for the people. He, he feels for them. His, and, and here's, here's the thing, I want you to understand, that he, his gut response, his feeling is not annoyance with them. It, it's not that he's, he's bothered by them. You hear me? He's not bothered by the crowd. He, he doesn't look at, down at the crowd and because of their condition, say the heck with this. He, he doesn't turn away from the crowd. No, the text says he is stirred with Compassion. He felt compassion for them because of their need. What was their need? What was their problem? What was their predicament? Read on to what Matthew records for us. He says when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because what? They were harassed and helpless. And how does he describe them? They're like sheep without a what? Okay, so there are some extroverts in here. Without a shepherd, right? They're sheep without a shepherd. So he sees them harassed and helpless. That's what he sees when he looks at the crowd. So when we think about 
Why is he going to all these cities? Why, why the three million? Why, why is he going to all the villages, to the peoples, and he's preaching and he's teaching and he's healing? Why is he doing that? Because he sees them for what they really are. He sees them as helpless. He sees them as harassed. He sees them like sheep without a shepherd. Do you understand all this language? You know what he's trying to describe to us? What Matthew's trying to give to us is he sees they're lost. They're lost. They're helpless. They're hopeless. They're they're harassed. I mean, obviously this word harassed could be referring to physical problems of those who gathered in the audience, whether they were poor, needy, or sick, whatever it was. But it also had connotations to their spiritual condition too. And it was referring to the Jewish leaders and their lack of properly feeding and protecting the people. The so-called spiritual leaders were actually harassing the people and oppressing the people. And Jesus sees them as helpless. They were unable to help themselves. He saw them like sheep without a shepherd. So He's moved. He's moved for them. And I want you to understand this description of lost people is not just the Jewish people. It's for all people. It's for all times. It's for all places. It's everywhere. You hear me this morning? It's everywhere. It's not just the Jewish people. There's people everywhere that are lost. You hear me this morning? There are people in this room that are lost. There's there's people in this room that are helpless. There are people in this room that are hopeless. There are people in the neighborhood all around this church that are helpless and hopeless without Christ. Like sheep without a shepherd. Do you hear me? I want you to see that as Jesus goes around in these cities and villages, His comments to them were not, you need to get better politics. It's your environment that's causing all these problems. It's not what He says. It's not your psychological issues. Now the cure to all this is what? Is the preaching and teaching of God's Word. That's the cure, right? That's the answer. And so Jesus goes through these villages and these cities and He's moved. His motive for mission, you hear me this morning, His motive for mission was compassion. That was His motive. So Christian mission starts with compassion. It starts with compassion. It starts with being moved by the helplessness of those around us. It starts with being moved by the lostness of those who are around us. That's where mission begins. So what are the implications of this for us who are recipients of Jesus' compassion? What are the implications of this for us? Who know Him, who believe in Him, who trust in Him. What are the implications of of this for us? Well, Jesus not only has compassion on His people, but He also forms His people into instruments of compassion for others. Do you hear me this morning? Not only does He have compassion on us, but He forms compassion in us for others. You tracking with this? 
It's not just Jesus' ministry. He commissions us to go and be moved and to be stirred by what? Compassion. To be moved inside the central being of ourselves for those who are around us that don't know Him, that don't know His compassion, that don't know the living hope. He moves in us to take that to others. In other words, we become the kind of people who see the needs of others and we have compassion on them. It starts with compassion. You see, in Jesus' own life and ministry, it all started with seeing the need. It preceded the feelings He had for them. In Luke 10, 33, it says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, when he, Jesus saw him, guess what it says? He had compassion. He, he had compassion. Luke 7, 13, it says, And when the Lord saw her, talking about Jesus, He had compassion on her. Matthew 9, 36 says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. So the question is, why do we fail to see people for what they really are? Why do we fail to see that? And here's the, one of the main answers to this. Because our gaze is so often fixed on ourselves and not others. We're so wrapped up in our own little world that we fail to see the pressing need of those who are around us. Do you agree? We're so dictated and controlled by our schedules, we don't even think about anything else. We need corrective lenses to see the crowds around us as those who are apart from the true shepherd and headed to eternal destruction. That's what Jesus saw. When He looked at the crowds, that's what He saw. He saw lostness. He saw hopelessness, and it moved him. It moved him to do something. It, it moved him to say something, to preach something, and that was the message of the gospel. And so you see, this morning, without compassion, there is no mission. There's not. If we're not moved, you, you with me? If we're not stirred, if it's not burning up inside of us about the condition of those who are around us, there's no mission. Do you hear me? There's no such thing. There's no reason to tell your neighbor of Jesus Christ. There, there's no reason to tell your family who's lost about Jesus Christ. There, there's no reason to travel the world to Quebec or wherever, to Germany or wherever we go. There's no reason to go if you lack compassion. There's no mission when compassion is absent or void. And so I'd have to ask you this morning, church, those who know Jesus Christ, why do we lack compassion? We lack it. Let's just be honest. Because we're not aggressively telling people about Jesus Christ, are we? Anybody else want to agree with that statement other than myself? I'm not doing that either. And I'm going to tell you what the lack of, uh, uh, what, the, what I'm lacking in my own life is compassion. I'm lacking seeing them as they really are. 
Rather, I get annoyed. I get bothered. I get perturbed with a large crowd. I, I do that. I don't see them the way I should see them. And so the motive for mission is compassion. We must have compassion. The second thing I want you to t- see in this text, not only the motive of the, of the mission, but we want to see the means. The means of the mission are prayer and people. Prayer and people. This is real simple this morning. Not hard. Compassion. And where does this go? Where is this compassion to be funneled? Where is it to be directed? Jesus tells us. Where do we direct our compassion? Because here's the reality, folks. We can direct it all kinds of different ways, can't we? Compassion can be sent in all kinds of different directions. Do you agree? But Jesus homes it in. As He talks to His disciples, they see, oh, compassion for the crowd. What, what do we do here? And He teaches them about it. The first thing you're to do when you sense that, when you're burdened by that, when you feel that, when you see the lostness and helplessness of others, guess what you do? It's real easy. He said, then He said to His disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, what? Pray. Pray earnestly. So this compassion is funneled to prayer. It's funneled to prayer. The first thing we are to do when we feel that compassion, we are to pray. So the response to the predicament of the crowd is to pray. And I want you to see in verse 37, we see the metaphor of the lost sheep. It changes in verse 37. It goes from being a flock in need of a shepherd to a harvest. You see that? It goes from a flock to a field. And Jesus tells us that the loss is like a massive crop of ripe grain being it's ready to be harvested. It's ready to be harvested. And guess what? God is what? Of the harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest. He owns the harvest. It's His. That's wonderful news for us, isn't it? That He owns the harvest. It's His. And so the Lord of the harvest has plans to send out disciples to gather it in. It's real complicated, I know. That's the plan. To send out the church. To send them out. To thrust them out. That is the language that's being used by Matthew in this text. It's almost like a fire has been lit under them, what he's describing. And there is a desire now within them to go out and to do it. And we see in Matthew chapter 10, what do we see Jesus do? He commissions his disciples to do what? To go. They have met the compassionate Savior and their heart's desire is to join in his mission, in his work, in his plan. I want you to notice in the text what he tells us. He says, but the laborers are few. What does that tell us? It tells us that, that, that action is demanded. Action is demanded. We're, we're to go. Those who are recipients of Jesus' compassion must act. We must go. We must respond. And so the first urgent action we are told is when we're moved with compassion is to pray before we do anything. And we're to pray that God would send out laborers to His harvest. What are we praying for? We're praying, God, send out Your workers. 
Send out your workers into your harvest fields. That's what we would want. That's what we would desire. God sent workers. As one commentator noted, he said, the harvest is already His, but it must be gathered in. You hear that? The harvest is already His, but it must be gathered. How will they hear? Unless someone does what? Someone must go. And it's interesting to see this very theme played out even in the book of Acts of this whole idea of praying before the going out. Prayer. It starts in the very chapter 1, verse 14, where they're told to go pray. And all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the uh, women, uh, with, with the women Mary and the mother of Je- the woman Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. They were praying. And guess what happens in chapter 2? The Spirit falls on them. And what does Peter do? He stands up boldly. And what does he do? He preaches one of the most famous sermons in all of history. And guess what happens? Thousands are saved, brought in. You see how this works? They, they pray, they go, and guess what God does? It's His harvest. He brings them in. John 10, they hear His voice, and guess what they do? They come. They come to Him. It's a wonderful thing in Acts 4.31, as Daniel read to us earlier. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Spirit. And they continue to do what? They're praying first, and the Spirit falls on them, and guess what happens? They begin to speak the Word of God with boldness. You see this theme playing out? Acts 13, 1-3, it says, Now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, And when they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them. And guess what happened? You'll never guess it. They were sent out. They were thrust out. They were sent out where? Where were they sent out? I just want to know if you're following me this morning. Where were they sent? They were sent out into the harvest, weren't they? If we're ever going to be a church that's on mission, we've got to be moved by compassion. I can't say it any other way. We've got to be moved by compassion. We, and that compassion's not got, it can't just be thrown all over the place. It's got to be funneled. It's got to be directed to prayer. And as we pray, then we do what? We act, we move, we leave, we go. So those of you in this room who are recipients of Jesus' compassion, I want to call you to prayer. Would you pray that God would send out members from this church as laborers in God's harvest? Would you pray for your spouse as they go to work? Would you pray that God would use them as a laborer in His harvest in their workplace? Would you pray that? Parents, would you pray for your children that God would send them as laborers into His harvest? 
before you ever want them to be a, a doctor, a lawyer, whatever your wishes are for them, your utmost concern for them, I want you to take the gospel. I want you to move with the gospel to the nations, and if that means you move to another country, then you go. Do you get that? I've heard it too much here lately. I heard it in Salt Lake City when I was meeting with church planners there. You know what they said? Oh, we need money. Well, what church planner doesn't need money? But they said this, and I will not forget this. They said what we need more than anything is we need people who are working towards a career to move out here and live and work and help us. That's what we need more than anything. Man, that's a paradigm shift in thinking, isn't it? That when I'm pursuing my career, I would move to a place like Salt Lake City where it's predominantly all LDS. And I'd work with the church planners while I'm educating myself, while I'm pursuing a career. And I share the gospel there while I'm doing that. And I help those. I love those men. I encourage those men. I faithfully stand beside those men as they plant the church. That's, that's different thinking, for sure. And some of you are thinking, man, you're just crazy. I think this is what Jesus is saying. When you're moved with compassion, you're moved. And you move. You can't stay the same. You've got to do something about it. When we're gripped with compassion, and I'm finishing here, we will be willing to leave our comfort zones. You hear me? For some of you here this morning, that will mean going next door to share the gospel with your neighbors. And please hear me this morning, and I'm praying this. For others, that means going halfway around the world to do it. And I want you to think of it this way. We may be called to labor in different parts of God's field, but nevertheless, we are laborers in His field. So pray that God would send out laborers to meet the Good Shepherd. That's our only living hope. Let's pray. As the musicians come to lead us in our closing hymn, I really want you to consider, I really want you to think about this. Think about your own life. Think about, are, are you being moved by compassion for your neighbor? Are you being moved by compassion for your family, your friends, co-workers, children, whatever it would be? Or are you so wrapped up in your world that you don't even think about other people? You can't think of anything but anybody else because you're so caught up with your own self. Father, strip us of that. Strip us of that idolatry. That we think so highly of ourselves that we think this whole world revolves around us. And it doesn't. Instead, may our world revolve around the sun. And God, give us corrective lenses and change the way we look at people. May we not look at them, oh, they just... They don't know any better. They, didn't, they weren't given the chance I was given. That Whatever words we use, God, may that stop. 
May we see them as Jesus was moved and stirred in Matthew 9 to compassion because He saw them for what they really were. They're lost. They're not going to do anything different. They're helpless. God, please help us. Please change our view. Please change our hearts. And God, I pray that You would just stir in our body our compassion for others that has never been seen before. That we would, and it would be funneled the right way to prayer and to action. And in that action, it be taking the Gospel. That, that's the pervasive need of everyone around the world. Help us. We're weak, Lord. Man, we're so self-centered, Lord. We need You to invade our lives. We need You to empower us by Your Spirit. We need You to move. And Father, I pray that, Lord, we would be instruments of Your compassion to our neighbors, to our friends, to our families, to our co-workers, to the nations. Do that in us, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.